before, right? So you're ne you're not he's not a rookie anymore, okay? So will, will you please let help uh, Monroe feel at home, help him, just like that. Do I put that up here? I want my forehead shining. situated here. I learned last time, Dana, the podium here is not big enough. <laughs> not big enough. Well, good evening. And as Dana said, this is a return engagement. First, I'd like to thank uh, Ed for inviting me back to uh, speak to you all. And second, I would like to uh, thank all of you who prayed for me uh, during my stay in the hospital and subsequent uh, surgery over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, sure wasn't a fun way to spend a holiday, that's for sure. Another thing, my wife told me, no jokes, so don't worry about that. I believe all of us as Christians should be concerned about the matter of sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is God's will for us between our justification and glorification. And it is of grave concern to the Lord that we be sanctified that means to be separated from sin unto God. It also means from sin unto holiness. We are to be increasingly like Christ, conformed to His image. Open your Bibles to the third chapter of, Col of Colossians, please. And we're going to begin reading with verse 1, and I want to read verses nine, 1 through 9, but we're going to focus tonight, or I'm going to focus tonight on verses 5 through 9. But I think uh, verses 1 through 4 give us a, a little background there, and also give us a, another insight from Paul there as well. Would you please stand to uh, honor the reading of God's Word? Is that it? Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. May God honor the reading of his word. 
The first word in verse 1 is therefore. And we all know what we need to think about when we see that word therefore, right? But also the first word in verse 5 is therefore as well. This is uh, consistent with Paul's style uh, of writing. Uh, He will lay out some truth or doctrine, and then at some point you will see the word therefore, and the transition takes place from theology to behavior, from doctrine to conduct. And that's what we find in chapter 3. No matter how deep Paul goes into uh, theology, he always comes down off the mountain of these mysteries of God that he explains, and he brings us back down into the valley where we live. In In light of all these glorious truths that Paul gives us, there's a certain way we are to live. Paul sums it up in verse 17 of chapter 3 of Colossians when he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. On the positive side, Paul says in the opening four verses that we are to keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above and to live a heavenly life. We are to focus on heaven. But with all that living in a, in a heavenly way, Paul comes down fast to earthly reality with another therefore in verse 5. If we are going to live the risen life, we are going to have to deal with what remains on earth of our sinfulness. And that requires some very dramatic and consistent practical action. Look at verse 5. First phrase there, the first section, it says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as what? Dead. This is not talking about some monastic self-infliction of... uh, unnatural wounds on, our, on your physical body. It's like the hyperbole used by Jesus in Matthew 5, 29 and 30. And in that he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying that literally for us to go out and abuse our body like that in that sense. But what he is saying is to deal drastically with the faculties of your body that have a propensity to sin. And so he does mean that we are to be serious there in that aspect. The members of our earthly body are the vehicles through which sin expresses itself. He means all of our human capacities are still tainted with sin until we are glorified. And so think about that. 
our entire life, once we come to Christ, we are battling sin. We're battling sin in our flesh. We are to remember that we have to deal with the fallenness which still remains in our lives. Fallenness that will show up through the instrumentation of our human bodies, our mind, our speech, and our actual conduct. All of those things, there's a battle going on. And so we have conflict. We are reaching for heaven and all of its virtues, and at the same time, killing what remains of this earth and the fleshly members which become instruments of sin. So I hope you see the conflict there that we're involved with in that aspect as well. Now Paul wants to help us with this, and this is critical. There is a movement today that has an indifference towards sin. You can call it uh, antinomianism. Uh, That's an anti-law idea that we have been called into grace and God doesn't care about our sins. God loves us. Jesus loves us. He doesn't care about whether we sin or not. I hope you do not believe in that. (laughs) Do you remember what that uh, profound theologian, the bachelorette, said several weeks ago? And I quote, It doesn't matter what I do, Jesus loves me anyway. I don't know. That is a very popular idea of Christianity in our world today. But Paul shows that the Holy Spirit, and therefore God himself, has a very different perspective. We are not to ignore sin. We are to be killing sin, especially sin in us as Christians. We are to be considering the members of our earthly body as dead. So Paul wants to help us by giving us two lists of sins in this passage that we need to be dealing with. Also, there is a certain pattern here that is very helpful in these two lists. One list in verse 5 and the second list in verses 8 and 9. The first list deals with perverted love. The second list deals with perverted hate. The first list deals with what we do. The second list deals in how we talk. The first list is personal. The second list is social. The first list is how we feel. The second list is what we say. So these two lists, which are not an exhaustive list of sins, act as instruction for us. Paul gives many lists of sins in his letters. Some of them are just samples of characteristic sins. This is that, but built into these two lists is a certain order that will help us greatly in mortifying sin. Let's look at the first list in verse 5. Paul says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, uh, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Now notice the sequence there. 
It starts with an evil action, immorality, and it ends with idolatry. So it flows from the action back to the motive. And that's the order we are going to see here. Let's look at the first word in the list, immorality. This term refers to any unlawful sexual act. There is only one lawful sexual act, and that is a sexual relationship between a man and a woman who are married. That's it. We live in a world that has long since ignored that. The world tells us that any sexual act between any people of any gender is not only to be accepted, but it is to be hailed as an act of personal identity, reality, and authenticity. But God says the only acceptable sexual act is between a man and a woman who are married. Now, this behavior springs from the next word that Paul gives us, and that is impurity, which means uncleanness. Jesus will help us in understanding this term in Mark 7, verses 20 through 23. Starting in verse 20, Jesus, and it says, And Jesus was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. So the problem then is not outside. The problem is where? Inside. Inside. What can we assess here? Immorality is a product of evil thoughts. Now remember, Paul was saying this to people who had come to Christ in an utterly pagan, heathen world where all kinds of immorality were acceptable. All you have to do is go back and read some of the lists there in the New Testament to see that uh, probably they were doing as, as they were doing acts of immorality then that we see today in that, in that sense. So Paul is, some, is saying something to the pagan world that is absolutely stunning. And he is saying to these people who have come to Christ then that if you don't want to fall into immorality, then you have to make sure you don't have impure thoughts. The next word is passion. Passion describes for us something behind impure thoughts. It is some rumbling from deep within our nature that lies latent in us. It reflects a deep-seated fire that can easily fan into a flame. Then behind that is the term evil desire. Evil desire goes down a little bit deeper into what we really are. John calls it the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. 1 John 2, 16. 
James 1, 4, 14 and 15 in a condensed version says that sin starts in those deep caverns of lust. It is who we are. And I think, yeah. We're getting close to the bottom now, but we're not there yet. So what activates evil desire that inflames passion, that leads to impure thoughts and immoral behavior? The next word is greed. Some of your translations might say covetousness. Essentially, they're the same word. Greed or covetousness is the last sin listed in the Ten Commandments. If you go back and read the tenth one, it says, Thou shalt not covet, and then it has a list of things that you're not supposed to covet there. But it really is the basic motive of sin. It is the desire for what isn't yours. It is the desire for what is against the will of God. It is the desire for something you have no right to. It is the desire to have more of something you are not entitled to. It is the absence of contentment and it's the opposite of contentment as well. Jesus considered the, covet, the covetous heart to be the very source from which all evil rose. The reason you do any sin, the reason I do any sin, is because we have decided that we will do what we have no right to do. You will take what you have no right to take. That is what sin is. So are we at the bottom yet? With greed and covetousness? Not yet. Look at the end of verse 5. Paul says, which amounts to idolatry. What is idolatry? Worshiping someone other than who? Than God. What is at the top of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Now we're at the bottom of this process. Idolatry is at the bottom of every sin. It is when you stop worshiping God and decide to worship yourself. You are saying to God, I will be sovereign and you are not going to tell me what I can and cannot have. This idolatry is really self-worship. It is the opposite of this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. Matthew 6, 33. Instead of seeking what is the will of God, you seek what you want. That is idolatry, and we have replaced God. This is how the pattern of sin works. We worship ourselves. We become greedy to satisfy ourselves. We begin to covet what we have no right to. That rises out of our desire and flames passion. 
which begins to circulate in the mind and then it shows up in the bad or immoral behavior. So we can't be so ridiculous as that famous theologian that I just quoted earlier as to say that Jesus doesn't care what we do because he loves us. It isn't just what we did. It's what we think. It's who we are. And it's blasphemous rebellion against God. So you understand that you have to deal with it on the basis of what it is. It is idolatry. It is self-worship. Anything that you have no right to, that you want, is a test of who you worship. If you worship God, you say no at that point. If you worship yourself, you say yes at that point. And that's what James says, lust wants. That's what lust wants. It wants you to say, I'm going to have it, regardless of the consequences. That's why it's important for us to know that the ability to live the Christian life is not related to somebody giving us a pep talk. It is directly related to what we think about God and what we think about ourselves. A superficial view of God will result in an elevated view of whom? Self. That's why man-centered preaching and teaching provides us no help and no strength against sin. Because our strength against sin does not come from feeling good about ourselves. It comes from a broken and contrite heart, as David speaks of in Psalm 51, 19. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, Who am I seeking? Him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Now think about that. That's who God is seeking. God is seeking him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. If we are consumed by the glory of God and the truth of Christ, we are true worshipers. And sin is dealt with at the foundation level. It's dealt with at that level of idolatry. We will not be an idol worshiper. We will not worship ourselves. We will worship God. So we as Christians need to be killing the corrupting things in us, the sin that is in us, and at the base of that corrupting thing, or those corrupting things, is idolatry. We then must ask ourselves, how serious is it to kill sin? Look at verse 6. Get back here to it. See, I told you there's not enough room. Look at verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. 
In other words, people are sent to hell forever for these kinds of behaviors. And Paul would ask us, why would you engage in them? Why do you want to engage in them? We as Christians have, have been rescued from the wrath of God. And we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 7, And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So why would you go back? Why would we go back to that type of living? We are to be mortifying or killing sin all the way down to its core, which is idolatry. That was our former life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. There's a second list here in verses 8 and 9. List number two is perverted hate. Now realize, there are some things we ought to hate. All sin, all unrighteousness, all that offends God. Those are things we should hate. But here is a kind of hate that is directed at people. Paul says there in 8 and 9, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. In the first list, Paul began with the deed and went back to the foundational motive. Here in the second list, Paul begins with the motive and moves toward the deed. The motive is anger that develops into wrath, that releases malice, that turns into slander and abusive speech and lying. And in this particular list, he's not talking about what we do, but what we say and how the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. That's what James said over in chapter 3, verse 6. So Paul looks at what comes out of the mouth and he goes all the way to where it arises from and that is anger. Deep down, smoldering hostility. And it usually comes when we feel like we've been offended over something or someone or somehow or some words or whatever the case might be. This too is a product of self-worship. Our deep down smoldering anger is idolatry. We worship ourselves, not God. This anger then bursts into wrath a blaze of sudden fury that explodes. The Greeks used this word to describe the kind of fire that quickly burned up grass or straw. Deep-seated anger explodes in wrath and leads to the third word there that Paul uses, malice. 
a general term for moral evil or evil in one's heart. This evil intent then results in slander or blasphemy. And not just against God, but it includes defaming other people. And I think all of us would agree that there is more slander going on now in our world today than, in, than any other time in our lives. Would you agree? This is a terrible expression of the deep-seated anger that is part of our remaining fallenness. Slander, then, produces abusive speech. We should not be constantly indicting everyone and speaking out against everyone because abusive, obscene, blasphemous language destroys other people and is totally unacceptable to God. Why would we think for a moment that the Lord would be pleased with that no matter what we think justifies it? There's no justification there for us to do that to other people. James makes the comment in his book, he says, how can we bless God and curse man? Can't do it, can we? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34 through 37. Jesus said, you brood of vipers. And of course, he was talking to the Pharisees at the time. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it. In the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So you think there's something important about our speech and our talk? Absolutely. Also listen to the instruction Paul gives us to this matter in Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 29. Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word as is good for edification, building up, according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to, the, to those who hear. Then down to verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I think we've already heard some of those words, haven't we? Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We should be full of forgiveness. Speaking what is edifying, which builds up, what is comforting, what is encouraging, what is virtuous, and what is godly. Then on top of that, look at verse 9. Back to our passage there. First part of verse 9 says, 
do not lie to one another. And I tell you what, we were talking about slander just a minute ago in our day and time. But has there ever been a time when lying is so prevalent? And people don't even care anymore if they do lie. I remember just back when I was still teaching in school, we had kids that would lie even if the truth would get them out of less trouble or would provide less trouble. They'd still lie because they just didn't want to admit, you know, they'd done something or be caught or whatever the case might be there. The truth will take a back seat, though, to our agenda. And we'll say whatever we need to say to express our anger or our self-worship. Lies are protectors of self-worship. Think about it. Satan lied to Eve. Adam and Eve lied to God. Cain lied to God about his brother. Abraham lied to Sarah. Sarah lied to the angels. Rebecca lied in the conspiracy against Esau. And we're still in the book of Genesis. Because Satan is the father of lies. Paul is horrified that we would be so idolatrous to live with smoldering anger that unleashes itself on people and then tries to justify itself. Why? Because he knows that we should be trying to mortify those things in our life. We as Christians should be marked even when we are genuinely offended by forgiveness. That's what we should be marked by. We are told here in this matter of sanctification to reach up and to live with heavenly virtues. Seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above. That's the upside. The downside is to realize that we have to kill the members of our body that are still fleshly and we have to deal with sin at its very foundational point, at its very origin, which is idolatry, which of course is self-worship. And if you are a God worshiper and a Christ worshiper, the battle is won, isn't it? And, if, and the more you know about God, and the more you know about Christ, and the more you love God, and the more you love Christ, the more you submit gladly to Him. Sin is simply a manifestation of self-worship and rebellion against God. See it for what it is. And deal with it at the level you have to deal with it. We live in the heavenlies. Ephesians says we have all of the heavenly blessings of Christ after we come to Christ. But we also have to be realistic about the flesh. And Paul calls us to both. Seek the heavenly, but realize the fleshly. Let's pray.
Dearly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for this part of our life in you, our walk in you, this part that we call sanctification. It is for the rest of our human living life, from the time that we gain salvation until the time that we leave this earth, we are to be sanctified. I just pray, Father, that as Jesus is sanctified, that you would sanctify us as well. He is the only one who is truly sanctified. I thank you for the clarity. I thank you for the understanding and the wisdom of your word. I just pray, Father, that as we leave this place, we would realize that when we sin or when we allow the flesh to win in our lives through sin, it usually goes all the way back down to idolatry. That we want to make ourselves the center of our own universe. And in so, and in so doing, that is rebellion against you. So I pray, Father, that we would deal with it, that we would focus on it, and when we are attacked in those ways, that we will worship you and that we'll say no at that point so that we can live for you and be conformed in the image of Christ. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monroe. Thank you very much. Let's go ahead and stand right now.